Awesome. I'm so grateful for them. And um, but you gotta do three songs, why not? It's too good to stop it too. <laughs> that's a flattery. That's a flattering thing I just said. It's awesome. Um, let's pray. Kelly, you wanna pray? Lord, we love you with the thank you for your presence. And we thank you and invite you to do everything tonight that you want to do. Yes. Lord, I ask you to know our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You know, as uh, Father Ronnie asked me earlier in the week what my theme, what the theme was, and I thought, well, <laughs> I can't give you specifics, but I can tell you what the theme's going to be. Because I'm a one-string fiddle, <laughs> and the theme's going to be about our union with Christ. And I thought about this, like coming here to this. this again, it's really good to be here. It seems like it's been a while since I've been up here. But I've been up here a bunch over the years, but it seems like it's been a while, and it doesn't need to, I don't need to wait that long. I love coming to our parishes when I can spend a few days. You know, there are things I'm, I do, like confirmations, those bishopy things, but this is the thing I like to do the most. And, um, and in thinking about coming here um, as bishop, you know, you come, you speak words to churches, and, and there may be some words that people have for the church, or am I trying to do something to help, you know, whatever the church might be to help the church. But I really believe I'm just called to be here as a teacher, to speak into individual lives, and to speak into your walk with the Lord, and to encourage you, and hopefully impart some things into your life that would, that would cause you, there's a place in... This is a couple of verses. I've kind of gotten infatuated with these recently. This really isn't the stuff I'm going to be talking about. I mean, the, the text we're teaching from tonight. But this is one from Matthew 2, real familiar. Matthew, why do I keep saying? I've done it yesterday, too. Luke 2. I never know it's Luke until I get to Matthew and find out it's not there. This is Luke chapter 2. Something that said about the Lord when he was 12 years old in Jesus in verse 52 kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And it says here about the Lord that he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. And so if Jesus needed to increase in favor with man, God, then we certainly need to increase with favor. But the, the idea here the word favor here is this, is this the word grace. It's the same word that's used for grace throughout the New Testament. And the idea of increasing, it isn't the idea of getting something he didn't have. Jesus had the fullness of grace on him. But the word comes from two words. It means to cut forward, like you're cutting through brush or cutting through jungle, cutting through bush, you know. And so it's like, and the idea is advancing is that Jesus kept advancing in grace before God and his impact with men. And it kind of really sums up his life, that he advanced in grace before God, with God, and also advanced in grace with men, his impact and influence with men. There was an advancement in that. And 
it's not about getting more, it's about simply advancing and putting to use more of what's yours and available to us. And so my heart in coming is that what we do these next two days is simply help all of us advance in grace before God. And tomorrow night we'll talk more about and its impact with people. Um, there's also a place in Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 1 where Paul is praying for Timothy and he says, You therefore my son be strong and the word there, I don't mean to do a lot of grammar lessons, I won't do a bunch of that I'll do a little bit as we go through but this is in the passive, it's passive so the idea isn't like strengthen yourself, get strong in your own strength it's passive which means this is something done to you allow yourself to grow strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus how much grace is in Christ Jesus? And so this carries the same idea of advancing in grace and growing strong in grace. It's one of the things I pray for in my own life is that, God, I would advance in grace, that I would, I would learn how to appropriate more grace. I can't get more grace because I have all the grace that's in Christ Jesus because I'm in Christ Jesus that I'll learn to advance in grace. I'll learn to take it out for a spin more, to take more of it out for a spin, that I'll grow strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. So that's my heart, is that tonight and tomorrow night, that there'll be some things that we'll share, um, that I'll share, and that also will impart to you prophetically and in ministry, that will cause you to advance in grace and to be stronger in the grace that's in Christ Jesus than you were before we had our time together. Okay? So I want to talk to you about, again, um, and the reason, the reason I want to talk to you about this is because I'm, I know for a fact, I'm convinced of this, the New Testament's so blatant about it, is that everything in the Christian life, everything in the Christian life, no matter what your particular... Um, gifting might be or your particular uh, ministry gifting might be or whatever your priority is, is if it's an intercessor or you're a prophetic person or your worship leader or you're whatever or a teacher or a pastor or whatever whatever gifting you might walk in whatever seems to be the thing that really causes you to have passion in your heart for it all flows out of our union with Christ and if it doesn't it doesn't carry authenticity. At some level, there's a real mixture in there of you trying to make it happen and not just God. And it's the heart of the New Testament. It's actually the heart of all Scripture because the Old Testament's always leading towards the realization of what Jesus accomplished at the cross. And so your union with Christ is at the heart of everything concerning God's redemptive purposes and what he accomplished in those redemptive purposes in his death, burial, and resurrection. It's all about your union with Christ. The term, the term that's most used, and the most important theological term, and the most prominent practical term in all the Bible, is the term in Christ. It's used more than any other phrase in the New Testament. The Paul, the writer who wrote most of the New Testament, where he talks about being in Christ so much, it dominates everything that he does. In the book of Ephesians alone, 30 times the phrase 
is referred to or used about being in Christ. Being in Him, being in Christ. And 300 times in the New Testament that phrase is used. And Jesus Himself, in the most important discipleship time in terms of teaching with His disciples, He had spent three and a half years with them pouring himself into them, doing the whole um, lecture lab thing, speaking in their lives and taking it out, taking them out to do ministry. And this was his last Bible study before his death, his last opportunity to impart things into their lives, is the Upper Room Discourse in John 14 through 17. And the whole Upper Room Discourse revolves around the concept of being in Christ and abiding in Christ. And so this thing about union with Christ burns in my heart because I believe it burns from the pages of the New Testament. And if we don't understand this, we're just grasping at straws and we're, make, we're treating spokes as if they're the hub. There are a lot of aspects of the Christian life. There are a lot of ministry things that we do. But our identity and everything that you do flows out of what kind of identity you think you have. Our identity is we're in Christ. Our calling is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And then we have some assignments in that calling, whether it's to be a banker or do this, whatever. Those are assignments. But you can't find your identity in your assignment. And to the degree that you carry an anointing that influences men, influences people, is going to flow out of whether or not you understand what it means to be in Christ. And that everything you do has to flow out of that reality your union with Christ. Jesus advanced in favor with God first, then men, people. And if you aren't advancing in the grace that's in Christ Jesus, you aren't advancing in influence and impact You may with people. You may be trying to maneuver them and manipulate them and get them here and there and do all kind of religious stuff with them. But if you're going to have the kind of supernatural impact on the lives of people that Jesus did and that you're called to have, that's your assignment then you have to understand your identity. In John chapter 12, so we're just going to do this. And trying to understand, trying to just seeking the Lord this week about what particular thing I'm going to do, like what verses I'm going to look at. Um, my, the person who was a real spiritual father to me, the, the one who impacted my life the most, was a man, he was an Englishman. And I remember one time, many years ago, he was in Birmingham, speaking at a conference at Briarwood Presbyterian Church. And this was probably 40 years ago. And, he's, and he, would, when he would teach and speak, he just would you know, just do stuff and pull things out here and there. And a guy who worked for an independent ministry, who um, Ian Thomas had impacted, went up to him afterwards, he said, Major Thomas, can I see your notes? That was an amazing word. Because he spoke like for an hour and a half. I'm not going to do that tonight, trust me. But he just spoke for an hour and a half. The stuff came out of him. And he said, can I see your notes? And he said, uh, he said I don't have any notes. He said, well, how do you do what you do? And he said, son, I just load the old barrel and let the Lord crack it where he may. <laughs> so we're trusting to walk in that kind of anointing. I wrote a few things down here, but we're, there's a little jumping off places. And all I know to do is just speak from my heart um, what some things that I see that to me isn't like, well, this is Chuck's emphasis. This is what every one of us 
And even for those of you who hear me all the time, if we don't get this down, if this isn't the focal point of your Christian life, this is the hub. You can all have all kinds of spokes, but if they're not flowing out of the hub, then the wheel's not going to roll very well and not going to last very long. In John chapter 20, Jesus said this in verse 21. Jesus therefore said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. Now this is in the context. He says, peace be with him, like three different times. And he says in verse 22, the very next verse, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now we know this was a temporary receiving until the day of Pentecost, which became a permanent indwelling. But he says, as the Father sent me, so send I you. And Jesus knew for that to be fulfilled, then they had to have the same thing that he had. Which was the indwelling presence or the presence of the Holy Spirit to accomplish that. Again, as the Father sent me, so send I you. And I don't want you to see that just as assignment, but also beyond that in terms of who Christ was and how Christ lived the life that he lived. So let me show you a few things. This is where we're going to look at some verses. If you have a Bible and you want to um, turn, you can. If you just want to listen, that's fine. But this is John chapter 12. I mean, John chapter 10, I'm sorry. John 10, verse 38. And Jesus said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, For judgment I came into the world, that those who may not see may not see, and those who see may become blind. Oh, that was 9, chapter 9. I don't want you to become blind, okay? Yeah, don't pay attention to me unless, until I get it right. John chapter 10, okay? John chapter 10. Verse 38, not 938. Uh, let me start in verse 37. But if I do, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe in me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Now when Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so send I you, this is at the core of that. This is foundational. And Jesus said that the works that he did was the result of this reality. That I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me. In John chapter 14, verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Again, do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me, verse 11, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works. So what Jesus says about himself, about the basic reality of who he was in his walk on this earth and what he did are connected. 
What he did was the result of who he was. And who he was is he was in the Father, and the Father was in him. He says this two more times in the Upper Room Discourse. In chapter 14, verse 20, and chapter 17, verse 21. He once again repeats there, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. One of the great truths throughout church history, in 2,000 year history, is a doctrine called the kenosis. And the kenosis is sort of laid out for us in Philippians chapter 2. And in Philippians chapter 2, it talks about the self-emptying of Jesus, that Jesus emptied himself. When he says in John 14.10, the Father abiding in me does his works, that's the kenosis. Over and over again in John chapter in the, in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, I do nothing on my own initiative. And over and over again, he said, I only do those things I see the Father doing, and I only say those things I hear the Father saying. Now we know that incarnationally, that one of the great truths about Jesus is that he was 100% God, and that he was 100% man. But the doctrine of the kenosis says that even though Jesus was never ever anything less than 100% God, he laid that down and he lived on earth as if he was 100% man only. Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit. It says about Jesus in John chapter 1, it says, No man has seen God at any time, but Jesus has revealed him. Jesus revealed the Father. And John 14, I think it's in verse 9, he says to them, When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He wasn't saying he was a father. He says, I revealed through my humanity who the Father is, the true nature of the Father. We know that the Bible teaches us that God can't die, but Jesus was crucified. We know that God can't learn, but Jesus learned obedience with the things that he suffered. We know man, no man's ever seen God, but Jesus said, when you've seen him, he's revealed God. We know that God can't be tempted, but Jesus was tempted in every way like unto us. And the doctrine of the kenosis, again, says this, that even though Jesus was God and very God, he chose as second Adam to lay that right down and to live as a spirit-filled man to show us how the first Adam was supposed to have done it. So in that sense, we would have his example. You with me? This is um, Acts chapter 2, verse 22, after Pentecost. Men of Israel, listen to these words. This is Peter speaking. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you or approved by God with miracles and wonders and signs. Now listen to this. Which God performed through him in your midst just as you yourselves know. He identifies Christ here as a man attested to you by God with miracles and signs and wonders which God performed through him. What Jesus modeled was that you and I were created to be in union with God. Not God, but to be in union with him. We were created in his likeness in his image, according to his likeness. 
We were created to contain His presence and give revelation to His likeness. When we talk about Christian maturity, often you'll hear about being godly. Or we'll talk about being Christ-like. But sadly, when we hear that, many times what we think that means is read the book, memorize what you can, take the sacraments, and then go out there and try to be like Him the best you know how. And that's one of the great heresies. Because only God can be like God. Only Christ can be like Christ. He doesn't need a cheap imitation. He knows how to be himself. And he knows how to live his own life. And being in the Father, and the Father being in him, carries this idea of this co-indwelling, this mutual indwelling. It's as if Jesus is saying, I laid down my right to be independent as God, though he could have done that at any moment. Even when he was at the cross, he could have at any moment, he could have just said, stop it. And he didn't. He stayed utterly and completely surrendered to and dependent on his Father by the Holy Spirit. Um, But Jesus, in union, to be in the Father, he was placed in to the life of the Father and the story that the Father wanted to tell about himself. And in that union, the Father did the works, lived the life through him, and told his story through the humanity of Jesus. That's union. Um, This is John 14, verse 20. It's hard. If you see me hesitating some, because I can't read my own Bible. It seemed fun to do when I was younger, but now I've gotten older, I'm like going, I can't read between these drawings. In that day, you shall know, he's talking about Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was going to fill them, just as he was filled by the Holy Spirit. In that day, you shall know that I'm in the Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. Earlier in the chapter, He says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. The word there is not mansion. It's not like a home. It's the word abiding. The same word that's used in John 15. In my Father's house, in the kingdom of God, there are many abiding places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself. Where I am, there will you be also. The place Jesus went and provided for us is a place. My uh, shoestrings run down. Is a place of union with Him as He had with the Father. That's why He says in John 20, On that day when the Holy Spirit fills you, just as I have been in the Father, and the Father therefore has been in me, you will then be placed into my very life and my story. And I will now be able to continue to live my life and tell my story through your humanity. That's union. Hear me again? 
When you hear the phrase, in Christ, it's never meant to be a theological phrase. It's meant to say, like if, if you just thought Courtney was the most amazing person in the world, and somehow you were placed into her, and your humanity got became one with her humanity to such a degree that even though it's now your, suddenly it's your body now, but now she's able to live her life and continue to tell her story, but through your unique humanity and your unique personality. That's union. That's at the heart of the Christian life. As the Father sent me, so send I you. And that's what Jesus meant. As the Father sent me in union with him so that he could live his life out through me and tell his story through me, and I could give a valid explanation of him, just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you now with your life in me so that I can live my life through you and give tell it. And you can give a valid explanation of who I am. That's Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness is not a cheap imitation of who Jesus is. Christ-likeness is a participation and a manifestation of his very life in you. You with me? And that's the story of the New Testament. And everything that we do in the Christian life, whether it's personal holiness or supernatural ministry with the compassionate heart of Christ that moves in signs and wonders, all of that flows out of Jesus Christ himself telling his story and living his life of holiness in you and living his life of laid down love and supernatural signs and wonders through you. It's the life he lived then, lived now, by him, in and through us. That's the Christian life. Anything other than that reduces the Christian life down to just a religious form of behavioral modification and self-help programs. The Christian life is supernatural from its very beginning. It's all grace. It's a miracle. And to advance in grace is to discover more and more and take out for a spin more and more of all that it means to have all that Christ is living inside of me and living his life through me. Whether it's in holiness or in miraculous love and signs and wonders. Um, there are so many things. There are so many places. Lord. In Luke, in Luke chapter 2, when Christ was born, and the angels came to the shepherds. And everything in this story is so powerful because, you know, why didn't, why didn't the angels come to some wealthy people? Some people with prestige and position and influence and power in the natural. He didn't. He came to shepherds. Simple people, many of them not educated, not, not very high in the rung of society, not very wealthy at all, generally fairly poor, sort of nomadic people um, 
Those are the people that he sent the angels to. And then Jesus was born in a stable. Not because there was a nasty guy who had a hotel that wouldn't give him a room. <laughs> because it was God's will to him to be born in a stable, birth in a feeding trough full of bacteria and germs because that's where animals would feed from. And the saliva that was all there, they would wipe it clean with the rags that they wrapped Jesus in to swaddle him. He chose all that. He chose a couple of poor kids from the country. A setting like this, he gave the word to shepherds. They came and he said, this is going to be a sign for you, shepherds, that you're going to find this baby wrapped in these rags. And so they come and he said, and they said to him, they said to the shepherds, for this day there is great joy. Did I drop something? Is that me? Oh, okay. Um, he says, for, I'll just read this a bit for you. He said, um, for today, well, verse 10 of chapter 2. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news. That's the word gospel. I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all people. Now the good news, if you really understand how, what the good news is, and the good news isn't that just one day you're going to get to go to heaven. The good news is that the one who came from heaven has invaded you. And you have been placed in Christ who's seated in the heavenly places. And you get to live from that reality as he tells his story and he lives his life out through every day. And if what you're experiencing as a Christian isn't bringing you great joy, then you don't really get the good news. The good news isn't that you just got baptized or whatever and you got stamped forgiven or stamped Christian. That's, that's good. <laughs> but the good news is better than that. The good news is that Jesus Christ himself, because you're in union with him, is now prepared every day to tell his story, his continual story, and live his life by his ability through your unique humanity. And it doesn't matter where your humanity has come from, or how frail and how weak your humanity is, or what your story is in the past. That's the whole reason he chose rags, and shepherds and, and, and a feeding trough and a barn because he was trying to say I can take the, most simp the simplest and most common things the most broken and needy things and wrap myself up and manifest my glory it's for all the people and they gave this really simple word and it says, For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now most of the time when believers think about Jesus being my Savior, what they're thinking about is that they're thinking about the fact He's saving me from sin's penalty. And that one day I'm going to go to heaven because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. Well that's certainly part of the saving work of God. But there's much more to the saving work to have Jesus as your Savior than just that. And we talked about this the other day too, about advancing in grace, being strong in grace. You with me? Um, the scripture says, by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of works. 
It's not a result of works. It's not of yourselves. But it's from Him. It's grace. That, so that no man should boast. When I talk to people and I ask them the question, I said, if you were to die, would you go to heaven? And if their answer to me is, I hope so, then they still think somehow there's something they can do that's going to leave an impression with God enough that he'll say they can come in. Whether it's going to church enough or serving enough, and they may be very sincere, and they may be on their way to heaven, but they're not going to get in because they performed enough. They're going to get in because of what he accomplished, not because of what they've accomplished. Because if you're still hoping so, you're still thinking that something you're going to do, you're going to be faithful enough or diligent enough or pray enough or whatever that's going to impress God to say, okay, they can come in. It's by grace. And that's the miracle of the Christian life. That separates Christianity. The resurrection and grace is what separates Christianity from every other dead religion in the world. And grace is hard for us to get because it's not fair. And we want things to be fair. We think we should get what we deserve. No, you don't want to get what you deserve. Because <laughs> the only thing all of us deserve is hell. We get what he deserves, Jesus deserved, what he accomplished. And the Christian life is lived that way daily also. And he says there's born for you a Savior. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. This is from Romans chapter 5. Verse 10. For if while we were yet sinners, or while we were enemies, that's when we were lost, before we became Christians. If for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Saved from sin's penalty by his death. Saved from sin's power by his life. And here's the thing that's so powerful to me. The, the literal grammatical translation of this is, much more we shall be saved in his life, not by his life. It's because of union with Christ. Because you've been placed into his life now and into his story literally as a spiritual reality so that he now can live his life and tell his story through your unique weak and needy humanity Jesus now not only saved you from sin's penalty by what he accomplished on the cross and satisfying God's justice but he saves you from sin's power by the very life he lives through you and in you every day. Saved in His life. Every day I'm being saved. Not from hell, but from myself. The hell of self. Yeah. Well, if you're living in self, it's certainly, if you're living by the power of your flesh, it's certainly hell for the person you're living with. <laughs> Or who lives around you, works with you, anyway. <laughs> How many of us, either in our own personal lives, or in the lives of other people that we know who are Christians, 
who are really, they're their real deal. But they live miserable lives and defeated lives. But they go to church every week and they read their Bible. The only difference between them and lost people is they go to church every week and read their Bible. And they sing different songs. And move in different circles. The Christian life is supernatural because the life that Jesus lives is miraculous. Um, Galatians 2.20 says this, very familiar. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ, who's living in me. That's the language. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ, who's living in me. And the life which I now live in this humanity, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I tell this story a lot. It was just a reminder to me of a great truth. And that's, what the, the, that's the literal language. Live by the faith of the Son of God. So if you're trying really hard to get faith for something, you've been placed into His life and into His story. And He wants to live His life and His story through you. And to enter into His rest, Hebrews 4 says, is to simply come to a place where I can rest in the fact that He has faith for this. There was a situation going on not too long ago that was very difficult and every time you thought you had a finger in one hole in the dam, another hole would break out. And involuntarily, I got thrust into that situation. And it had nothing to do with my local world that I was living in, so I didn't really want to be a part of the situation. But it was every day. It was every day and it went on for months. And I was finally sitting in this setting in a big room in a, in a meeting and I'm in the back and I, I, I thought... <laughs> the situation was fixed and then it wasn't fixed again and I felt the weight because the people there were people around me expecting me to be the one to fix it now I was missing it on several levels to say that to you it wasn't my job to fix in the first place but I began to move in anxiety and I got to the place where I didn't have faith for that thing I thought okay I knew the situation I knew some of the people involved I thought this isn't going to work I can't see it because every time I thought we were going to have a breakthrough, it just got worse. And the Lord spoke to me in almost an audible voice. He said, I've got faith for this. And it just like, uh, shocked me. I said, what? He said, I've got faith for this. And I said, you've got faith for this? And he said, yeah, I've got faith for this. And I thought, well, if you've got faith for it, then I'm okay. I've got faith for it too. And I was just reminded. He said, <laughs> and he said, that's what faith is, Chuck. I thought, oh, yeah. That I'm to live my life knowing that you've got faith for this. I live <laughs> Second Corinthians three five. Not that we're adequate of ourselves to think anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Um, Colossians three uh, verses one through four says this. Since then you've been raised up with him. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind and affection on things above, not on the things of the earth. Now listen to this verse. For you have died. Huh? For you have died, and your new life is hidden with Christ in God. 
Now, if your life is hidden with Christ, union, then that's the only place you're going to ever find your identity. For you have died, and your life is hidden. So that's the Lord, like, tooting the horn, like, yeah, preach it. For your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, this is what it says next. Now, when Christ, who is your life, not just your Lord, not just your friend, not just your advocate, but when Christ, who is your life, is manifested, not talking about the second coming, when he's manifested through your humanity, you will be manifested with him in glory. We as human beings were created to contain and live in and manifest glory. Isn't it what it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18? As we behold him, we're transformed from one degree of glory to the next. That's advancing in grace. We're transformed into his image, it says, from one degree of glory to the next. For you have died. What died? Whatever I was before I became a Christian, died. For the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we are new creations. How? In Christ. That's what makes a person a new creation. The difference between an unbeliever a lost person and a Christian is that a Christian is a Christian because they're a new creation because they're in Christ. It's being in union with Christ that makes you a new creation. You've been saved and you're now being saved because you're in Christ. Being saved from yourself. The weaknesses of your humanity. For in your weakness, His strength is made perfect. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9 says, For you have been a new creation, here it again, in Christ. I think for years I used to look at that verse, and others look at that like, we read that, interpret that as if we're saying, for we are new creations because we're Christians. No, it didn't mean because you're a member of the church. You're a new creation because you're in Christ. You've been placed into His life and into His story. And because he's now telling his story and living his life through you, you're a new creation. You're not what you were, because you weren't that before. What you were before was a person guilty under God's, under condemnation. You were the under the condemnation of sin, and you were a slave to sin. Because sin was more powerful than you, and you had nothing to combat it with except your own willpower and personality. And if you learned to act like you were victorious on the outside, on the inside, you and God knew that you were not living that way, or the people who lived behind the drawbridge when it came up every evening in your home. That the knight in shining armor was actually a werewolf. That's who you were. A guilty sinner who was a sl- you were a, a guilty sinner who was a serial sinner. Jesus took that person to the cross and crucified that person. And that person was buried. No longer under condemnation and no longer a slave to sin. That person was crucified, taken with Christ to the place of judgment to the place 
of, of, uh, of um, um, paying the penalty for sin, taken to the place of execution. Went to the cross, crucified, buried, and then raised up, spiritually raised up in union with Him, who's now my life. And that person who's now one with Jesus, that's the new creation. And our potential for life and potential for impact in the lives of others is all because of my union with Him. And so now His potential is now my potential. Second Corinthians 9.8 says this, For God is able, and the language there is really, God has already. God has um, made all grace. The God of limitless ability has caused all grace to abound to you. That you always having all sufficiency may abound to every good work. For the God of limitless ability has abounded, not just some, not just enough, but more than enough. Twelve baskets full left over. For the God of limitless ability has abounded all grace to you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. That's a powerful verse. Because you're in Christ. What does he say? Grow strong in the grace that's where? In Christ Jesus. Jesus is the grace of God. And all that Jesus did and all that Jesus is and all that Jesus wants to do as a free gift, grace has a face. That face is Jesus. So hear that verse again. And I'm, I'm giving it to you the way grammatically it's supposed to be written. For the God of limitless ability, 2 Corinthians 9.8, has abounded all grace to you. Already has. Has abounded how much grace? Some grace? No, all grace. That you always having, not sometimes having, not most of the times having, not when I feel good having, not when my husband acts right having, or my wife acts right having, or my classmates act right having, when it's not a day full of stress. The God of limitless ability has abounded all grace to you that you always, always having all sufficiency, not some, may abound whatever it is God's called you to do. Because of your union with Christ. Because again, where is that grace found? Grow strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Now do this one more verse and then we'll stop. Okay? You say, well Bishop, you're repeating yourself. I've been repeating myself for 40 something years. I'm going to keep repeating myself until I see him face to face. I'm repeating myself because the enemy's first and foremost priority is not trying to steal your health, is not trying to steal your wealth, is not trying to steal your giftings, trying to steal the fivefold giftings or the charismatic gifts or whatever. The number one thing the enemy's after is to keep people from understanding their union with Christ. Because if they ever get that they're in union with Christ and they learn how to let Jesus loose to live his life and tell his story, the enemy knows he's done in. Because Jesus says, the works that I do, you will do even greater. So this is Ephesians chapter 2. 
Let me just read you this story again from Ephesians 2, and then we'll be done and we'll do a little ministry. Y'all hanging in there so far? My eyes have adjusted enough I can read my Bible now. <laughs> so this Ephesians 2, let me just start with verse 1, tells who we were, and then tells what God did, and now who we are. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That's who you were by nature. But now that's what he already says. He says, But God, being rich in mercy, not you being rich in performance, are rich and deserving, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love for you with which he loved us, even when you were dead in your transgressions, made you alive together in Christ. By grace you've been saved, and he raised you up together and seated you together in the heavenly places in Christ in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In the ages to come we're going to be his trophies and the trophies are not going to get to speak up and go one of the reasons I'm here is because I did all those works of mercy in that hospital ministry to the poor or I did this. And we're going to be there as his trophies of grace he even makes that even clearer. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast. There's nothing, when you go to heaven, there's nothing you're going to get to boast about except the fact that you said yes to the gift of God. When you handed you the gift, you simply took it by faith. That's the only thing you can boast. The, the Christian life is the same way. Colossians 2.6 says, Just like you received him. How did I receive him? I received a gift by faith. The gift of a person. Just as you received him, he says, So walk step by step in him. In union with him. Just like you started union with him when you got saved, you continue living out that union in him. Just like you received him, walk in him. How'd you receive him? You said yes to the gift. You keep saying yes to the gift of his life in you. Telling his story through you. He says, for we are his workmanship. We're his masterpiece. That's the word. We're his poem. That's the word, actually. For we're his masterpiece. Created how? In Christ Jesus. That's how you were created. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. See, if you don't understand union with Christ, you may be saved, but you don't know how you got saved. You don't know what happened to you, what makes you a Christian, what makes you a new creation, and what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means that you're now hardwired to live the life that Jesus lives because you're in union with Him. You're hardwired for the supernatural. You're hardwired for the miraculous. Holiness is a miracle that Jesus lives in us moment by moment as a free gift 
Ministry is a miracle. Loving the unlovable is a miracle. It's the love of Christ being released to us. The fruit of the Spirit is love. For His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Um, so what, did, what happened? And we could spend a lot of time in the verses looking at them, but so you can go look it up later and um, uh, places like in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. It's amazing places. When Jesus went to the cross, Jesus didn't just die for you. In taking your place, He died as you. He took collective fallen humanity in His person to the place of execution. And the old man was crucified. The beginning of the new creation of all things being made new happened at Calvary. We're going to see its manifestation in the years to come, in the days to come, in the ages to come, in the new heavens and new earth and all that stuff. But you're the first fruit. The new creation is the first fruit of believers, of what Jesus accomplished at the cross. He took fallen corporate humanity with him to the place of the cross, to the place of execution, crucified the old fallen self. It was the undoing of Adam. How in the world, what was God going to do with the fall of man? What was the solution? What was the solution for fallen man? This slave to sin, this one who's guilty of sin. What was he going to do for that? Do about that without losing them? What was his solution? What's the wisdom of God? The great mystery of the gospel. How is he going to salvage us? And yet, we're under judgment. We, we have to pay for our sin. But even if our sin were paid for, we're still a slave to sin. We're fallen, slaves to sin, under sin's condemnation. What, what, what was he going to do with that? How was he going to fix that? There's only one solution. Death and resurrection. The old had to die. And the new had to be raised up. But if it was you that died in your person, you're lost forever. So God, the foolishness of the gospel is somehow this great mystery, this great wisdom of God is Jesus. It says this in Romans chapter 6. Died on the cross, not just for us, but as us. He died on the cross as collective humanity. And the old man went to the place of execution in Christ. The old fallen, guilty, slave to sin self died on the cross with Jesus and was buried. And a new creation was raised up in Christ. Now that's potentially true for every human being. Jesus died for the whole world. But only those who say yes to him, who receive the free gift, get to enter into the good of it. And the moment you say yes to Him, what was true about you becomes true for you and to you. That you're a new creation. You're not what you were. I am crucified with Christ. Who what I? Who I used to be. Nevertheless, I live. Oh, I'm back. I'm, something happened. I'm, I was crucified. Now I live. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Uh oh. Whatever it is I am, it's not what I was. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But here's the word 
Here is Christianity, but Christ, who's living. That's the word there, living, not just alive, but living in me. Amen. That's the Christian life. That's the reality of the Christian life. So whatever it is you live in, whatever circumstances you live in, no matter what's the situation, whatever things the enemy's throwing at you, is the Christ that you're in union with bigger than that? Is he transcendent to that? Is he more powerful than that? Is he an overcomer in that? You need to stop asking Jesus to give you peace. Peace is the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is my strength. Jesus is my joy. Jesus is my wisdom. Jesus is my purity. Jesus is my morality. Jesus is my courage. Jesus is my love. He's my patience. He's my self-control. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's a miracle. We beg God for things He's already done and He accomplished for us 2,000 years ago. You, the moment you were born again, you were born in to the reality of what He accomplished 2,000 years ago. You're a new creation. Fully equipped from the moment, from the very moment, so that Jesus can live His life through you and tell His story through you supernaturally. That's the Christian life. That's the wonder of it all. And any other gospel that doesn't flow from that good news is a false gospel. Because that's what makes you a Christian. That's what makes you a new creation. You're in Christ. You're now... And that's so cool to me. And there's nothing you'll face that Jesus isn't more than adequate for that's the reality see the thing for me after all these decades I don't pray for God to give me new Lord don't, I don't pray God give me show me Lord how to make this Christian life work Lord show me the deal I don't want new truth there's no new truth Lord show me new things about the old truth I want to advance in grace I want to be stronger in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. I want to live by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. So I want to be stronger, not in my strength. I want to be stronger than grace than I've ever been before. And I want to keep advancing until I see Him face to face. So let's do some ministry. All right? There's about 500 of us here who here to do some ministry. And so we'll... Um, so let's do this.